when Jesus entered the temple area and the smell of animals hit his nostrils and the sound of the money changers clinking their coins hit his ears, you see the result of the stimulus that he feels on that day. He had been to the temple before, even the day before, but today was different. See, this was big business in his day, not some small mom-and-pop operation. No, for the convenience of pilgrims and the cattlemen and the money changers had set up their businesses in the court of what we call the court of the Gentiles. This was technically supposed to be a place of prayer for those who are not Jews, that they could come in and find a place with the one true God. The animals were sold for sacrifices, of course. And it was far easier for a pilgrim or any person in Jerusalem to find what animal they needed outside those gates. But the rabbis, the teachers of the law, were in on it too. And they'd say, these animals you brought in from outside the court of the Gentiles are not holy enough. So you have to buy the ones who were marked as kosher. The Roman money the pilgrims brought to Jerusalem had to be exchanged because the temple tax could only be paid in shekels. You couldn't use the wrong currency to pay the tax. And so yet again, it was a big business. Exorbitant prices were charged for changing the currency. As an example, every Jew had to pay the temple tax one half shekel a year. This was about a two to three day wage for an average worker in that day and time. If you think about what you make on a day basis, it's two or three days you'd have to pay for this temple. It also had to be paid at Passover time, and the money changers would charge at least 50% on top to get the correct amount of money in the correct currency. A certified dove for sacrifice in the Gentile court cost 30 times what a dove would cost outside those temple courts. And so yet again, we see them making money on the idea of religion. By throwing both over the animal and the money-changing systems, Jesus was challenging the high priest himself because it was his job and his family as his extended family to perform these roles. You see, there was corruption at the base of it. The three synoptic writers have the cleansing of the temple at the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he's going to go into the Passover week. We're coming to the end, folks, of the Gospel of Mark. But we see that John has it earlier on in his Gospel. It's one of the questions I want to ask God, when we get there, when did this happen? Was it early on? Was it later? Was it both? We, we don't know. But it's unique that in all four Gospels, they remember this and write different, slightly different versions of the same story. It's only in Mark where we see the fig tree brought up. More on that in a moment. See, I believe that Jesus has to clear the temple in some way because the temple is himself. He says it all over the other Gospels that I am the true temple. And we see that Jesus himself coming into the place that is supposedly physically him is aghast at the ways in which they're making money and they're ruining the one true God. But we see even in the Old Testament that comes through. Malachi 3. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure his day of coming? Who can stand up when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I'll come to put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against the sorcerers, the adulterers, and the perjurers against those who defraud laborers of their wages. 
oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. You see, in, in Malachi's version, he saw the injustice even in his day, just as Jesus sees it as his. There's always that temptation to take the perfect triune God and to try and make something out of it for your own benefit. That's a natural temptation because we're imperfect people. And yet God chooses us to be his people, to be Jesus in the world, to be the people who are serving the city of Tallahassee with turkeys. It's amazing how this all works out. Even in verse 17, you see on the screens, we see that Jesus himself quotes two different scriptures, one from Isaiah saying that there would be the temple area where this idea comes through that that they're going to make it a den of robbers. And again, from Jeremiah 7.11. See, instead of prayer, it was about convenience, money, and profit. And we see through Mark's gospel, it is the Gentiles, those who are the outsiders, see this painter behind me, those who are the outsiders who have no right to come into contact with God. But let's take just a step back, if we will. It's a little different sermon style than you might be used to when I'm up on stage. Let's take a step back and ask two questions that are not inherent in the text, but as you wrestle with this passage, because it's a confusing and a hard one, we're just jumping right into the background of it. Let's take a step back and ask this question to ourselves. Nobody stops Jesus. No one tries to stop him. Here, one man comes in where we have hundreds of people gathered, and he's throwing stuff over. I'm not going to do that. This is not the splash zone. He's throwing stuff over. He's making a scene, and no one stops him. Granted, over and over in the Gospels, we see that Jesus has some sort of escapability cloak or some sort of power to get beyond those who want to kill him. At one point, a mob has him and going to throw him over the cliff, and he's just somehow like, I don't know, it's like Avengers stuff, right? Or, or Spider-Man, I don't know how he does it. He just kind of, and then walks away. It's, it's amazing. But we see here that this idea of Jesus being an aggressive and angry God, throwing over tables. In another gospel, he takes his belt and uses it as a whip. I mean, this, this is a totally different side of Jesus. We see that the Roman soldiers probably would have stayed away from the temple because they didn't want anything a part of it. But look at the response in verse 18. The crowd themselves are amazed at his teaching. He quotes these two Old Testament passages in verse 17, and they're just amazed. And so the crowd's enthusiasm and exuberance, saying maybe this is now the time where the Messiah will come and sit, where the Messiah should sit and kick out Rome and elevate all the disciples to the levels that they believe that Jesus should. They have no idea the suffering that he's about to take place. And ironically, at least some of the same crowd, probably a week or so later, are the ones saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Can you imagine a person taking over a place of peace because of the popularity of a crowd? Oh, wait. Did the pastor just make reference to events that happened in our country not too long ago? What kind of guy says this on a sermon? It's that uncomfortable giggle. Yeah. It's that uncomfortable saying, oh, he's going political? No, I'm not. 
but it is helpful for us in our modern day to realize that the same thing can happen today that it happens 2,000 years ago. And I'm not saying anything about that. It's horrible. That's really what it is. People lost their lives. But the idea, the idea of this kind of Messiah should make us all a little bit uncomfortable, just a hair. See, we took one step back in saying that one stopped him, but let's take two steps back from this passage and say that Jesus is angry. Does that upset anybody in the room? Okay, no one, good. All right. Amen. Sermon's over. Jesus is violent. I was chatting with Pastor Mike saying, you know, my temptation in the sermon was to come up and just knock over the music stand and really have everybody on edge. Because when somebody does that, when somebody makes a violent entrance, it, it causes your, your body to start going, whoa, what's going on with him? What's going on here? Do I need to step back or do I need to buff up? So you see, Jesus is full, friends, of something called emotion. Jesus uses his divine authority to wilt a fig tree. Just contemplate that for a moment. Because as children, and and we do a great job teaching children, we don't go into these deeper levels, but the children level of faith that many of us have, that Jesus is nice and always has lambs around him, his hair is always like perfectly long and straight, like he has Pantene Pro-V back in that day, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a picture of Jesus in, in the elementary school land I, I grew up in at least. He's always either around children or sheep, right? And then sometimes he's on a cross, but he's always empty cross, so that's okay. This, this Jesus, this Jesus has emotion, complicated and dangerous emotion. And in a day and age, it's either about peace, hope, and love on one side of the spectrum, or let's go start a literal holy war on the other side of the spectrum. It should make us a little bit uncomfortable in this passage. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. You can say that Jesus is the true temple, and he has the right to do whatever he wants, and he uses a little bit of, you know, violence, but it was a gentle tossing of the tables. It was a holy tossing. It was was light and airy and, and full of love. Or you could say maybe he's just being agricultural aware. And that, that fig tree, friends, that was going to die anyway. And you don't know this. It's not in the scripture. But a year later, there are three lemon trees now growing there. And they're the best holy lemons you've ever had. Maybe, maybe Jesus does this, but then he evangelizes and say all can be saved because even the money changers should be saved, right? The blunt truth is that Jesus is full of emotion and so is God. Sometimes they don't fit into our prescribed Third grade Sunday school class. And friends, that third grade Sunday school class is important. We should not go into this level of Jesus' divine authority. We need to tell those third graders that Jesus is love and Jesus does love them absolutely. Amen. But, but, today's a day of maybe finding a deeper faith. That's about what we are at Element 3 Church. Even the Old Testament uncomfortableness of human emotions in God's work has been taken for what a level of understanding the divine salvation story. In the Old Testament, God is often a really mad God, really disappointed in humanity. Even Moses gets a little bit of God's wrath now and then. But from this acknowledgement of taking two steps back from the story, I'd like to go a little theological with you today and maybe a little bit uncomfortable and talk about emotion. Can we do that, friends? Well, that was a really unenthusiastic. 
I heard, I heard a sure, one sure, and like, go for it. <laughs> it's okay to laugh, too. <laughs> Laughing's a good emotion, and that's where I normally stay in sermons. But today, we're going into the, the sadder parts of emotion. Are we okay doing that, friends? Okay, you don't have to be excited now. It's just a matter of acknowledging the awkwardness in the room. First point, it's okay for Jesus to have emotion. Turn to a person around you and say that out loud, exactly as it does on the screen, to another person, ready, set, go. Now, I gotta pick real quick. The tech team booth did not do that. You're part of this church guy as well, and you do an awesome job. You need some help because whenever everything goes wrong, everybody's giving you some bad emotion. So you gotta say this to each other too, okay? Everybody, one, two, three, go. It's okay for Jesus to... Good. And I heard the tech chief be at that time. I can hear everything, okay? Online, you better say it to somebody or at least type it, okay? Darren, type it in the chat. Jesus was hungry. He was thirsty. He was definitely annoyed. He was frustrated. He was also loving, compassionate. And we remember the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. Jesus had every spectrum of emotion. And even those emotions that we don't like because it brings us something else we don't care for. Jesus is an emotional God. And friends, theologically, an emotionless God is a bankrupt religion. Why? Because if Jesus doesn't understand what it means to be betrayed, to be hurt, to be sad, and to laugh at ridiculous jokes... I'm sure they had funny jokes in Hebrew, okay? If Jesus doesn't do all of those things, Jesus doesn't understand what humanity is, and he can't save us. He can't save us as a God who's distant and far away. He needs to be all up in our business. And it's uncomfortable that Jesus loves me even when I'm the perfect pastor preaching on Sunday, and even when I'm the, you know, angry at the Husker football team for losing yet another game. I said some words last night, friends. It was a bad call. Thank you. Thank you. I'm getting in my emotional vulnerability here, friends. And men, we we sometimes need a a, a silly sport with a weird ball to get emotional. Because we we tend to just kind of, you know, bury over our emotions and whatever. That's okay. And on that note, number two, it's okay for blank to have emotion and to explore our range of emotions. Let's just talk for that real quick. I put the blank in there because obviously it's okay for you to have emotion, but it's also okay for others to have emotion too. Your emotion cannot trump other people's emotion and their emotions can't trump your emotion. So turn to somebody around you and say this sentence and insert whatever name you'd like to use. Ready, set, go. <laughs> it's, fu- it's fun to do this, right? But there's a point to this madness, okay? I'm not, just, I'm not just playing with y'all, okay? There's a point to this. See, we are made, our brains are made with two different brains. We have what we call our back brain, which is total survival brain, okay? It's worried about fire, it's worried about lions, and it's worried about strangers. Those three things cause our back brain to light up. And those three responses, we either fight. Who's our fighters in the room? Oh, come on, no fighters? We got one, okay, we got one fighter. Who's our runner away, our flighters? Yep, yep, I don't like conflict, I don't like fire, I'm running away. And then we have the freezers, okay? Who are the freezers? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
And when and, and a healthy back brain is needed to survive. It's our it's our what we call the, the ancient brain where the, the people in a day and age where there were constantly fires, lions, and strangers needed this brain to literally survive. And then there's the more advanced brain where complex emotions are always going through. Some of us feel things like loneliness or joy. That's a complex emotion. Some of us feel this term called grief. If you, if you haven't felt grief as a human being, you're probably not a human being. Because the moment you leave that womb, you're grieving that spot that seems safe and secure, right? The interesting thing is that our back brain and front brain are constantly at war. And when we say things out loud to somebody, our front brain naturally takes charge. When we write things out, our front brain naturally takes charge. Because that takes complex thoughts. I have to control this hand to do this thing, to make the strokes, and all of a sudden I write something. That's your front brain taking charge. That's why infants, when they come out of the womb, they can't naturally write the Magna Carta. They cry, fight, flight, freeze, okay? Now, what's interesting is that for most people in their 30-somethings, we are more emotionally immature human beings as, as general. Now, I still have hope in that generation, we call them millennials, that they can throw a Hail Mary pass and somehow become emotionally mature human beings. But thank the Lord, some of you are laughing, okay? Thank the Lord, thank the Lord that our society has told us to not have complex emotions. That if I'm feeling sadness, what do I do? You suck it up. Yeah. I don't cry. Men don't cry. I, I eat my feelings, right? I buy my feelings. Oh, man. How many of you ever bought something on Amazon where you're feeling something you don't like to feel? Yeah, don't raise your hands. That's embarrassing, okay? Yeah. This, this, is, this is the truth, though, that we, we tend to use our cultural norms to try and cover up those complex emotions because all we want to feel is what? Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. If I feel happy, then life is good and God loves me. If I feel sad, then there's something obviously wrong and I need to fix it to feel happy. When we say things out loud, we get our front brains engaged and we can process through those complex emotions. Social media has a huge impact on this. That instead of stopping the scrolling, we go through and we keep scrolling, we find things we don't like or we don't agree with and then we just keep finding more and more and more and more and more and more. Or we do find things we do agree with and we do like so we keep finding more and more and more and more and more. We're just feeding our brains the same stuff when instead we should do things like journaling, walking, self-care. One of the truths that we've found through adoption and through doing adoption counseling is there's three small sentences and it goes like this. It's okay, I'm okay, I'm safe. Say that out loud. Good job, zombies. <laughs> the interesting thing, the interesting thing is that those three sentences tell that front, that back brain, that, that primitive brain that hey, you are safe. And we oftentimes daily have to say that to ourselves to become emotionally healthy people. Covering up hard emotions without looking for some fun is, is, emotionally, un, is emotionally healthy. Sorry, is not emotionally healthy. Covering up hard emotions with looking for just fun or pleasure is not emotionally healthy, not emotionally healthy. Friends, sit with those hard emotions and process them with others and by yourself, knowing that if you do that, you'll become a better overall person. Here's a challenge for this week. Take time during this Thanksgiving season 
to take care of your emotional health. Do something that'll help you and help others in your family become more emotionally healthy people. More on that in a moment. Be careful of systems and even of churches who are all about emotion all the time. We love to have an emotional experience here on stage, right? I mean, we don't want to come here and say, oh, what's happened up here is just emotionless. It's, it's not good. No, we want to have those moments. But churches who are all about one emotion all the time, be careful about that. Be careful about online platforms who are about one emotion all the time. Be careful about systems and, and ideas that are about one emotion all the time. We are emotionally complex people just like Jesus. And because we're emotionally complex, we need to take care of the whole range of our emotions. And friends, E3 as a church has emotions, right? It's been an emotional roller coaster for some of y'all, right? I hear that one-on-one in small groups. My goal for the last season has just been listening to the story of E3. In the last few years, it's been emotional. And I've seen people who either fight, who fight, or have just froze. And I acknowledge those emotions in the room right now. Because acknowledging emotions and others' emotions and caring for the emotional health of the whole person is more difficult, but it's obviously a much better response. Amen? So let's do the emotional truth number three. 2020, expose our emotions that are hard to navigate. They're hard to navigate. We know that, right? We know that 2020 was the best year ever. Yeah. I found myself, <laughs> I found myself during the race riots of 2020, and obviously, uh, many of you may not know this, we have a, a multiracial family. And during those race riots, I didn't know what to do with myself. I don't fit in real well in those, in those boxes. So I, you know what I did? I went and got a paint bucket and a roller and a brush, and I painted almost the entire basement of my house in Nebraska because I didn't know what else to do. I needed something to, to have a creative and, and a rhythmic feel to dealing with my own internal angst. Because sometimes as the opening song came out that the worship team did, say something, sometimes the best thing to do is say nothing at all. But there are also times where you need to say something. Say something in the chaos that is surrounding all of us. We have to sometimes move and getting connected with others who we agree with and who we disagree with because that brings us into a better self of who we are. But here's a point for this point on the screen. Emotions that stem from a sinful place are almost always sinful emotions. Let me put it this way. If you're coveting, if you're lazy, if you're racist, or if you're fearful, those emotions that follow that, greed, lust, anger, indulgence, are almost always going to feed into that initial sinful desire. Because the pandemic took away many of our purposes, at least for an extended period, we had to deal with these buried emotions that we tend to just ignore. I don't care if Abraham Lincoln himself was president. We were an unhealthy people during that pandemic, and we dealt with it, therefore, in unhealthy ways. The challenge for the upcoming church is that people want to hear what they already believe. Say that again. The challenge for the upcoming church is that people want to hear what they already believe, but what a true Christian, what a true church should be doing is developing a person in a closer relationship with Christ. 
I'll put this image back up that we've been using off and on for this season. See, friends, if we are an emotionally healthy church, we're gonna naturally flow people towards Jesus on the right. On the left, we can just bottle up our emotions and find people who feel like me, or at least believe like me. And we create invisible lines that keep Jesus away from all those outsiders. Emotions are a huge proponent of moving people in that relationship towards Christ. I often joke that there's gonna be a sermon here at 8-3 where I just stand up here and monotonely read from a text and maybe some of you have been at churches where that pastor does that and that's fine, they're great people and they'll have eternity with Jesus. But the point of this is, is that when I'm emotion full in sharing with you the message that I've prepared, you feel and maybe will move in that feeling towards closer to Jesus. The challenge is to navigate that journey with others. Don't do it alone. Because in 2020, it showed that these emotions were so complex and so diverse and so hard to understand, we just froze. Lastly, out of that, the triune God wants her emotion and will help you as you go through it, will guide you in it. It's not just God wants your emotion. It's not just Jesus wants your emotion. It's not just the Holy Spirit. It's the triune God wants all of it. Years ago, I used to teach at a place called Boys Town. We had young men and women who didn't understand who God was at all. And they usually were in some sort of horrible place. And so they were placed at Boys Town. And I was their Protestant theology teacher. And it was amazing to watch them because the kids who sat with no emotion and were just totally passive and say, yeah, I don't care really about God. There may be a God, there may not be. I was more worried about them, those who were angry at God. God wants our anger. God wants our happiness, our joy. He wants every emotion that's on the human spectrum. He doesn't want you just to come in and smile and say, I'm a Christian, I got it all figured out. No. God wants it when you're weeping, when you're slamming your steering wheel over and over with your fist because life is unfair and hard. God wants us in all Emotions that we have in our spectrum, emotional spectrum. Emotions that stem from a holy place are almost always holy. We see that Jesus in this passage met injustice, greed, and sinful behavior with holy emotion. And it makes us uncomfortable that Jesus was angry, but Jesus' emotional anger was exactly what needed to come out. Because if I trust in Jesus, I trust that he gave me anger for holy good reasons. If we acknowledge, care, and monitor our own emotion, they can be a great vehicle for the Holy Spirit. I struggle with this mightily. I'm, I'm preaching, but I'm not always doing this, obviously. I've learned that there are times where great emotions come out with me in passion and a desire to see God's work increased in my life and those around me. Back in 2017, when the Charlottesville events were unfolding, I just had this whelp of the Holy Spirit just burning up a fire in me. And I remember I was... Driving on Highway 2, I just stopped for a Diet Coke, dropped off the kids at school, and I stopped the car, and I just started weeping. And I wrote this on my phone, in between tears, just streaming from my mouth. I wrote this, I said, we believe that all people are created in God's image. However, not all ideologies are godly. Any ideology, such as white supremacy or neo-Nazism, which states that one person is inferior to another, is blatantly wrong. We call upon the leaders of our city, state, and country to take a stand against the numerous groups in Charlottesville and throughout our country who claim these evil ideologies. We will be united as Christian brothers and sisters, and we'll be preaching that there's no room for racism at any church. 
We pray for healing, for accountability, and that racism will be hated by all people in our city and this country. And lastly, we pray that Jesus' message of equality and harmony would echo through our churches. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why God told me to write this down, but I shot it off, and in one week, we had 300 churches who signed it. And man, Lincoln is not a very diverse town. I don't know if y'all know that. We all kind of look like me. But in Lincoln, that statement was used over and over and over three years later in 2020. Not to the level I hoped it would be, but over and over and over, we came back to that same statement saying, hey, we cannot allow racism in our churches. We'll help people deal with racist thoughts. We'll walk alongside them as the image shows that we want to welcome the person who has been put in racist situations and the person who is racist themselves. We want to walk alongside both. But it's my hope and prayer that element three can be a place where true injustice can be met with holy emotion. See, this is just one example where the emotionally healthy person can engage a city, a religion, and bring in the outsiders into the family of God. So instead of staying just in your emotional hurt in your box, allow God into your emotional reservoir and allow God to move you to a total emotion. Find support with others. Find care and love for others, friends. Because just as Jesus was an outsider to the people around him, we can be it when it comes to emotion. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share this message. And Lord, I pray that it would meet people wherever they are, the emotionally fragile, those needing a shoulder to cry on, those who are so angry because of hurt or for injustice, those who are just in a moment where they're just feeling good about who they are, feeling happy, that whatever our emotion, we can lay it down at your feet and allow your Holy Spirit to pour into that. We can allow Jesus, your son, who understands these emotions so much better than we even do, to come and comfort us as only he can and promises that he will wipe every tear away from our eye. And we pray that the God, the Father, who created every part of us, who created the complexity of our human brains, would come and bring peace to the emotional messes we may have drawn ourselves into. And Lord, I pray for this church, for Element 3 Church, that we would be emotionally healthy in engaging the city of Tallahassee by meeting any and all people who come in and welcoming them in the good news in the name of Jesus Christ and walking alongside their emotions as well. Bring peace and bring healing to however we felt in the past seasons and allow us to move forward with boldness and even with anger at times. In your holy name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.